Hold on to your butt. I'm, of course, surprised that a story had such an immediate and profound effect upon radio listeners. Hooey pleases the boobs a great deal more than sense. Woe is us! We're in a lot of trouble! In politics, man must learn to rise above principle. What the hell are we doing here? We are behaving the way a superpower ought to behave. Well, our behavior has produced some crappy results. What we're witnessing now is the failure of the state. It is a death struggle for our republic. Giving voice to liberty in our time. Jimmy Clark. Welcome to it, folks. A lot of big anniversaries this week and debuts. We had the 30th anniversary of Tiananmen Square and the massacre there. The incredible images that came out of that. Been talking about that all week. The 75th anniversary of D-Day, which the further away we get from D-Day and the more people who fought on that day and who were part of the greatest generation pass away and are no longer with us, the more that day seems like something out of a Homeric epic, you know. It's like something out of, you'd read from ancient Greece or the Bible or something. It just is one of these days where all the might of the Allied forces and all sorts of planning and trickery in a way. I mean, you do know about the inflatable army. Really? Yeah. <clears throat> inflatable? Yeah, I believe they put decoy like armaments on one of their shores in Britain to make the Nazis think, oh, if they're launching from there, they're going to be hitting the beaches of France here. That's slick, and I bet it worked too, didn't it? It did. That's awesome. It did. And by the way, welcome to the Joey Clark Radio Hour. Alongside me this evening is Seth Spotlow. Thank you, man. Uh, but just learned that today is the debut of the fifth season of Black Mirror. Ooh. One of the weirdest shows on television. Really? Yeah. I mean, in one of the seasons, an episode that sticks with me, is this really nerdy IT guy. But the episode doesn't start with him being a really nerdy IT guy. It starts with, like, a, a Star Trek cold opening. Like, it's, oh, incoming message, Captain. Hail him. Hail the enemy ship or whatever. It's like, you know, that opening scene where it's, like, the bridge and everybody's, uh -huh. you know, doing their thing. And then the program stops. And this guy wakes up out of his virtual reality. And this new girl starts at work. And nobody really pays attention to this guy, even though he created this crazy virtual reality world. It's so immersive, you think you're actually living in it. And this new girl kind of slights him in a way. So one day, she's sipping some coffee. And she puts the old Starbucks cup, essentially, in the trash. Well, after she leaves, or as she's not paying attention at least, this nerd, IT guy, everybody craps on and doesn't pay attention to, even though he's a genius. And he really clones her. Yes. He, clones he gets a her. DNA swab, and he clones her in the program. No wonder people are scared of... And all the 
characters in his Star Trek world are clones of his office mates. And he perpetually humiliates them Revenge. in his virtual reality world. But these clones are like sentient beings. It's not like they have no feelings or consciousness or anything. They know what's going on. And even though they know they're clones, it's like they're trapped in this world where essentially this... Trapped in a world where there's an evil god, essentially. They must murder him. Uh, it gets, it's a little more complicated than that. Oh, it's actually okay. a pretty cool, um, pretty cool ending. That was a good episode. Um, one that really stuck with me that I think speaks to some of the issues today, because last night, Southern Wood and I got on this topic of some Canadian academics mm-hmm. are, they're experts in education and pedagogy and how to teach kids, you know, the correct things in life. They're now saying dodgeball is a tool of oppression. I wonder the person who wrote this up and is giving that presentation at that academic conference, how good were you at dodgeball when you they were got a kid? nailed. Right. Yeah. So I guess it might just be written up to sour grapes. If you think about it and dodgeball, how many people were really good at it? I wasn't amazing at it, but I was all right. I was quick. I could avoid the ball pretty well. Some people could throw, some people could catch, but there yeah. were only a couple people that were really good at it. I was fairly athletic, but yeah, I wasn't the one who was, I wasn't the offensive player, but I was a pretty good defensive player, catching and avoiding and all this stuff. But there's one Black Mirror episode where this woman has a chip installed in her daughter's brain. And what the chip does is censor any sort of stress level increase in the body. So if it's like a violent dog barking as the mom's going for a walk with her in the stroller, her brain, because of the chip, only registers a weird kind of pixelated sound and can't even hear the bad dog barking at her. As the kid gets older, she can't even, she cuts herself on the finger and she can't even see the blood coming out of her finger. The chip in her brain sensors it and pixelates wow. it. Wow. To where, I mean, if you you can see where it's going, the kid is very unhappy. Oh, yeah. Because she can never understand any of the, the darker aspects of life. She's so coddled, and the world has been so nerfed and censored for her, that she reacts violently to the things that she was supposed to not, you know, you you keep kids away from violence to keep them from being violent, right? Not when the world is violent. Anyway, the point is, Black Mirror is a fascinating show. Not every episode is, uh, I think, amazing. And apparently critics are sort of panning this latest season, but, you know, that's what critics do. They're critical. It's a parental advisory sticker for your brain. But you <laughs> brought this to my attention, Seth, because apparently they are, there's one episode in this latest season of Black Mirror that's called Rachel Jack and Ashley 2. Debuting today. And it stars real-life pop star Miley Cyrus playing a fictitious pop star in this episode. And in an unexpected twist, the episode features a scene in which her character covers the Nine Inch Nails song, the 1989 industrial rock classic Head Like a Hole. Yes. And you requested that we play some of this. Yes. Apparently the director got permission from Trent Rezor. Um, mm-hmm. Well, let's give a listen. I have not heard this yet. I'll give you a little backstory on this. All right. uh, uh, Bird Box. 
mm-hmm. uh, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross did this, the score for it. And any kind of movie here lately that you've seen with kind of a creepy uh, score in the background, 9 out of 10, he's done it. Oh, very cool. Yes. Well, it's it, cool to see that, you know, life after the the band is really... You know, they bands move on. They do yeah, their own Well, thing. it was never really a band. Nine Inch Nails was always just him. Okay. And a bunch of other guys, and the they other would guys would swap out, jump and, but in. it was always him. It's kind of like Steely Dan. They'd play musical bands. It was two guys, and they would have all sorts of music. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's that's cool, but here, let's, okay, let's go listen to this. I, you know, I'm not exactly a big Miley Cyrus fan, but I have to give her credit in the sense that she didn't want to be boxed in. Yeah. As this Disney girl. I mean, good God. Talking about kids... Having weird childhoods. It's one thing to have, you know, anything violent or stressful censored from your brain. It's another thing to grow up in this world of, like, immediate stardom. And not stardom with the vast majority of the population, but with your peers, other kids that watch the Disney Channel. Being 12 and doing drugs and drinking, that's terrible. Well, at least it's on offer at that young of an age. Mm-hmm. Um, but here, let's let's listen to this. See what it sounds like. Hopefully, there's nothing uh, we have to dump out of this one. Sounds like it's a live performance. Already? Yeah, yeah, we checked the lyrics beforehand, but that's what I was worried about. And that wasn't even the lyrics. Yeah. That's what I was worried about, but, I mean, we'll have to check it out. Yeah, man. uh, we'll, We'll have to... Look at that. Uh, if you want to hear another kind of weird thing about Nine Inch Nails, that one, uh, the, the rapper that mm-hmm. made the country song with Billy Ray Cyrus, they sample Nine Inch Nails in the background of that. Oh, really? And he gets no credit at all for it. Old Town Road. Old Town Road has a sample of a Nine Inch Nails song, and wow. nobody cares. Wow. Yeah, and if you... Uh, old Dude is kind of giving Trent a little credit because in the beginning he was wearing a Nine Inch Nails shirt. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. Nobody knows that. Well, but sampling's become such a, a prominent, pervasive thing. It's weird how crediting goes. And, like, when you, you know, take two or three seconds from another song, or you take a, a just a simple riff or motif from another song and use it, I guess you should give credit. Of course. But, like, so much has been used and reused and copied again and again and again. It's almost become like a community thing. When making the scores for movies, I mean, it's the background sounds that you hear that is kind of a song with right. no words. Uh, like one of the first ones he did was the Quake soundtrack. You remember mm. the Quake video game on computer? Vaguely, yes. Yeah. yeah. He, uh, he did the, sound, the score for that. And that's why they had the Nine Inch Nail Gun. Okay. You'd have the gun and yeah. you'd run around. And I do up. remember yeah, that. Yeah, man. Very cool. Very mm-hmm. cool. Now, All right. what's the appeal, though, to you? Because Nine Inch Nails, a lot of their music is... Scary. Same thing with Tool as well. Well, it's more... It's what Greg and I were talking about a few minutes ago. The sort of the shadow realm. The shadow side. Not exactly your uh, most happy side of life. But it's a real part of life. And I'm wondering, you're a big fan of this sort of music. What's mm-hmm. the appeal to you? This sort of dark, shadowy, macabre sort of art. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. It's just, uh, I, it's relatable to me a mm. lot. I mean, I, there's been a lot more, more sadness than, than happy, I guess. And then the, the sadness has kind of become a happy. Right. And the music and 
um, the feelings and whatnot of the sadness. It's like, hey, you're not alone. There's somebody else out there. You know? I wonder what was going on, though, in the late 80s, early 90s, for that to become so prominent. Because, I mean, there are periods in history after World War One and World War Two where art definitely changed. Oh. Like, I mean, when you see millions of people die all of a sudden. Oh, yeah. Like, it's going to change your perspective on how you express yourself a bit. But uh, it's almost maybe the uh, it's what people have talked about a lot lately, uh, a crisis of meaning where it's like, okay, we got a bunch of stuff. Like, this is the most prosperous time in human history, especially if you live in the United States. And yet you might have all sorts of stuff, but people aren't happy. Now, some folks might say, well, I don't have that much stuff. I'm working a nine-to-five job and just getting by. And, hey, man, you're preaching to the choir. I get it. Oh, yeah. But life's pretty good. And I'm not saying I'm immune to this. I get down in the dumps a lot. And it's, I think, one of the mysteries of modern living. You know, this idea that we have more than our ancestors ever dreamed of. had without the wealth they're still there all the mental struggles are still there oh yeah it would be like uh the fan everybody's got it you know and then the one family down the street they have it but they treat the kid like crap hmm. and then the kid gets the negative effects of it even though he's surrounded by all the positive whenever so uh instead of the happiness being there somebody's really mean to him you know? right and i that's where that comes out of i feel like it'd be like allison chains and uh, uh nirvana and uh, um Nine nails and stuff like that, you know? I mean, right, and this, I'm thinking about this today because one of the big news items today, folks, is YouTube has decided to move against hate speech or insulting speech. Now, there's the explicitly what they would call hateful ideologies out there. So things like white supremacy, explicitly very systematic racist stuff. But they've also, for instance, gotten rid of Steven Crowder, because apparently Crowder said something to the effect of a gay slur or two towards some other reporter. And now they're like, well, we're not going to tolerate this sort of material. But I'm, here's what I'm unsure about. Are you going to get rid of somebody because they put out certain material on YouTube? Or are you not going to get rid of somebody because... Off of YouTube, they did something terrible, and now so you'll remove them on YouTube, even though that material never made it to YouTube. No, it reminds me of, like, at Catholic, when I went to Catholic school here in Montgomery, if we did something, I remember reading that student handbook, if we did something off campus that was not up to the standards of the school, you could be suspended or expelled. Now, I get, you know, if you murder, you hurt, you commit some heinous crime, okay, sure, but, like... Wait, I have to be a good Catholic schoolboy even out of school? And y'all are really going to be watching me? What are you... Really? When you're not here, you are the school, and you reflect your school. (laughs) So if you do act wrong, they will think everybody's acting wrong. Right. And you're out. But I I think it's 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 an interesting new world where these big tech companies, and I've been the one up here saying, keep the government out of this. But I've also been saying there is plenty going on on YouTube and Twitter and Facebook and Google 
that we should be keeping an eye on. It doesn't mean it's a call for politicians of the left or the right to step in, but it's uh, it's interesting to see these companies now trying to wrangle in their platforms. The whole idea, at least I thought of the internet, it's freedom is freedom. You can now be connected to not only other human beings, but all sorts of knowledge and information about the world. And still have your First Amendment. And here's the thing. When you really are hooked into all the knowledge and information of the world, what is it? The tree of knowledge of good and evil? There's evil in the world. You're going to see a lot of messed up things that you never thought would be in front of you. Just watch Faces of Death. Well, and it's a it's an old internet pastime. I'm sure you, you might still do it now, but I'm sure you did it as a kid, where you just type in the most messed up thing you can think Not of. Not anymore. Not anymore. Not anymore. But you used to, right? Yeah, it was Faces of Death. Well, the worst one, uh, I remember I fell asleep, and I had YouTube going on my television. I can't remember what I was watching, maybe some Jordan Peterson lecture, Christopher Hitchens, or something. And I fell asleep, and YouTube was on autoplay. So I wake up at like 2 in the morning on my couch, and there's YouTube playing, and the video playing is the most five disturbing websites on the internet. <gasps> and I'm like, why Why is this on my TV at 2 in the morning in the dark? <laughs> and it's just, it's, you know, I don't want to restrict that stuff. I think the more you restrict things, the more you are creating the tools of your own destruction. Exactly. That if you can restrict and restrict and restrict the bad, then you might be giving the bad people the tools to restrict the good. Don't push the red button. You got to be careful with restricting people's freedom, but I wonder, and this is what I told you know the people running Spotify when they said they were going to be editing or censoring or kicking people off their platform, musicians and artists who were engaged in hateful conduct and, and the like. It's like, who defines hate? Yeah. Who defines hateful conduct? And I think that's where, leaving aside whether or not you're a Steven Crowder fan or an Alex Jones fan or anybody else, you have to be careful on what your standards are. They should be very, very clear. But, yes, the news today, folks, is that YouTube has decided to ban thousands of channels. Thousands of channels will be removed. It's changing, YouTube is, its community guidelines to ban videos promoting the superiority of any group as a justification for discrimination against others based on their age, gender, race, caste, which is, by the way, shows how, yeah, you know, you've heard of class systems, like your upper class, middle class, lower class, working class, all this stuff, the moneyed class, whatever. Caste is something like in India or like feudal Europe where you'd have the lords, the nobles, and the peasants. So it's more than just, oh, we're all equal citizens in the United States, and some of us have more money than others, or some of us carry a certain cultural persona compared to others. But a caste is like, no, you are, your father was that way, your grandfather was that way, you will be that. You will always be, for instance, a, a plumber, or whatever it is. When you're in the movies, you're in a caste. You know, it's union goes first. You are not fruit. You are crackers, and you will always be crackers. But th that's a sign of the global reach of a company like YouTube, which I believe is owned by Google, the Alphabet company. So, again, the new rule is 
the guidelines are to ban videos promoting the superiority of any group as a justification for discrimination against others based on their age, gender, race, caste, religion, sexual orientation, or veteran status. Where did the veteran status thing come from? That's interesting. The move, which will result in the removal of all videos promoting Nazism and other discriminatory ideologies, is expected to result in the removal of thousands of channels across YouTube. They sure did jump into that really deep. Here's the statement from the company. Quote, the openness of YouTube's platform has helped creativity and access to information thrive. It's our responsibility to protect that and prevent our platform from being used to incite hatred, harassment, discrimination, and violence. All right. I suppose it's a noble goal, but again, who defines this? First, for instance, the ban on supremacists will remove Nazis and other extremists who advocate segregation or exclusion based on age. We have the same things we just said. In addition to those categories, YouTube is adding caste, which has significant implications. This is the one part of the world, and this is what I meant by global, in India, as well as well-documented violent events such as the Sandy Hook Elementary shooting or 9-11. So users are no longer allowed to post, say, 9-11 truther. I'm sure Terry Adams will be interested in this. Terry Adams from 7.30 to 9 here on News Talk, clearing the air. But you can't post 9-11 truther videos anymore. If you think Sandy Hook was staged, I don't think it was staged, but if you think it was crisis actors and all that stuff, you can't talk about that on YouTube. Man, they're killing the... F- the amount of speech, man, going And the this tube. is where I stand. I don't agree with that. I think 9-11 was perpetrated by the people that we are told officially perpetrated it. Now, you could get into conversation on, did the government do everything they could? Did the government take advantage of that? event? I think they did. For instance, there was, uh, after the, you know, we were talking about Tiananmen Square yesterday. By the way, there is an amazing, I've been wondering, where are the people in China that have, that are speaking out against the authoritarian nature of their government, especially this latest authoritarian power grab by President Xi. He's made himself president for life. He's taken out a lot of his political opponents. He's kind of rewritten the the rules for society. They're using these things called social credit scores. Something straight out of what we were talking about before, Black Mirror. I have no clue what Tiananmen Square is. Really? Yeah. Okay. So, in China, there was a thing called the Cultural Revolution under Mao. How long ago? Uh, That started in, I believe, the... Oh, wow. That had to be the... All the way into the 70s. Or starting in the 70s. And it wasn't until the 80s that there was kind of a... The Cultural Revolution essentially collectivized everything. Imagine every aspect of your life. Not just economically speaking, what you can own and buy and sell and trade. But like who you are as an individual. What you can express. Everything is dictated by the Communist Party and the government. And of course what happened under a system like that... I mean, there's the stories of mass famine, and I'm actually, I'll admit, folks, I'm pretty light on this history. It's something, the more I get interested in China, the more I want to read this history so I could talk about it in a more uh, 
intelligent way, in a more informed way. But from what I know, that that regime of complete control led to mass starvation, incredible poverty. Uh, it, it really harmed the country. So people in China, starting, I think, in the mid-70s, start to wake up that we can't do this anymore. They started to introduce more market-based reforms. And they didn't do it all in one fell swoop. So there's a lot of corruption where... Uh, for instance, bureaucrats were making a lot of money and giving jobs and land and other businesses to their friends. There's a lot of nepotism. That happens everywhere, but when you're trying to get away from a communist system into more of a free society, it's not an easy transition. It's something I think a lot of people who believe in freedom and free markets need to work on. How do you take a society like China or Russia and move it to a free society when there's no really sustaining tradition of property rights and freedom for the individual? How do you do that overnight? Wow, that's nuts. It's very difficult to do that. So they finally started to peel back the controls, starting, I believe, in the mid-'70s. And by the time you get to the mid to late 80s, people are pushing for full democracy. They are pushing to essentially have what we have here, and maybe not exactly what we have here, but at least something like in the West, something akin to Europe and Canada and the United States. And so in, I believe, 1989, it was the 30-year anniversary yesterday, there were massive student protests. And starting on the in Tiananmen Square, which is in the heart of the capital, Beijing, and starting on the night of the third into the fourth, the Chinese army, the People's Liberation Army, swept in Tiananmen Square. Tanks, I mean, full military troops ready to go, and they killed thousands. Wow. And out of that came this famous image. I'm going to be talking to the director of a movie who made a short film about it on the 18th of this month. Uh, he's known as the Tank Man. And the image is, I, I might be able to pull it up I for you. I think I've seen it. Yeah. We, hopefully YouTube hasn't censored this and kowtowed to you know, China or anything. But if we can find the Tank Man footage... Uh, the Tank Man is essentially this guy. Yeah, here is the raw footage of the Tank Man. See this line of tanks rolling into Tiananmen Square? Mm-hmm. And then see this little dot right here? That dude standing it's there just is one, trying to stop him. Yeah, it's just one man holding grocery bags. He just stands right in front of this tank. Watch the tank stops. Folks, if you haven't seen this, look it up. And he's saying, I'm not going to move, essentially. And you can see the tank, after it stops, tries to go around him. And so this whole line of tanks are held up by this one man standing there. All for the sake of more freedom. And gets in the way. That's and awesome. as the tank tries to move, he stands in front of the tank again. And he gets right up on it saying, I'm not going to move. Now, we are not sure what actually happened to the tank man. Well, and here it is, you know, people coming out to greet him man on a bicycle, others running out to meet him by his side. They're tackling him, taking him away. Well, he better be happy they did, because if they didn't, I could totally see him running, running him over. But it's that image that, um, that image that many credit, it wasn't seen in China. The Chinese government suppressed that footage we just showed. You could not find that video we just showed in China today. 
when people were trying to text about it or send anything on social media, China has such intrusive, pervasive control systems that it'll be censored immediately. Kind of like me talking about that chip installed in that girl's brain. Mm-hmm. It just You can't do it. Then Chinese, the Chinese government even got wise to the code words people were using really? in order to express you know, what they, you know, Tiananmen Square. But I believe yesterday there were incredible um, demonstrations in Hong Kong which has this pseudo-sovereignty. They're officially part of China uh, because but because they were an old British colony and one of the most prosperous in the world, by the way, mostly because of unilateral free trade. Uh, they have some independence more than China, and they actually have what is in the West the British common law tradition and all this prosperity, like I said before. And so the organizers of this event claim hundreds of thousands uh, 170,000, let's say, were out last night with candles and everything re- remembering Tiananmen Square, the massacre, and people like the Tank Man. Wow. And so there are big events still going on in this country, uh, but I don't know. When I look at YouTube, should there be a ban on things that I completely disagree with? Like, when I hear people, and I've heard friends say this, say that Sandy Hook was staged or whatnot, and I think you're just wrong. But people are, they can have their own opinion, even if it's stupid. Right. They're just wrong. And then, where I was going with this earlier, that image of the tank man wasn't seen in China, but it was seen in Eastern Europe, behind the Iron Curtain. And many credit that, along with many other forces, for helping foment revolutions and bringing down the Soviet Union. Wow. And so, after that, after the Soviet Union falls, I brought this all up because of 9-11 truth or stuff. After the Soviet Union falls, and uh, there's this book written called The End of History. Like, and by that they meant, like, okay, the great power struggle between the United States and the Soviet Union, the two empires, so to speak, is now over. It's just the United States, the sole superpower, the global hegemon. And lack, for lack of a better word, I like using just clear words that remind us of history, the most powerful empire ever known to man, that's what the United States continues to be. There was talk of, okay, now that we don't need to have this huge military buildup in order to take on the Leviathan and the Soviet Union, let's have a peace dividend. The idea of the peace dividend is we don't have to spend all this money on weapons of war. Let's give it back to the people in one form or fashion, whether it's tax cuts or more social programs, whatever. And that talk of a peace dividend was really bothering people that wanted a big, robust military. And there are actually quotes where people, and this is what feeds, I think, some of the conspiracy, of people saying, we need another Pearl Harbor-like event in the United States in order for people to wake up. And the way it's written, it isn't exactly wishing it on the United States, but essentially it's people need to be reminded how evil the world can be. And lo and behold, they got it on 9-11. Oh, man, that's terrible. And talk of the peace dividend kind of went into the dustbin. So I, I'm, I, don't, I don't subscribe that 9-11 was an inside job or anything like that. But I know other people do. Yeah. And should... YouTube shut them down because they have a different point of view? Should we not allow that stuff on the radio? No. I think people should be able to voice their opinions. No matter how stupid it is. Case in point, me. 
Well, and <laughs> but here's the thing. It's a great point. There's a documentary on flat earth societies on Netflix now. Yeah. And the scientist who can show pretty clearly that the earth is round, it's a globe, said that scientists and people who subscribe to the earth is a globe theory have for too long looked down their nose and just called people who are flat earth or stupid. And that is not the correct approach. Talk to people. Don't don't pick on them. Don't be mean to them. And it should be a reminder of how many of you could actually demonstrate clearly that the earth is round. Or are you just relying on some scientist, some smart guy said so? So I, I think we need this information to be out there. We need these conversations to happen, even if they're incredibly unseemly. And I just worry that uh, YouTube, in the name of you know all this fairness and having a, a good platform, an ethical platform, whatever, a moral one, might be pushing a lot of these conversations more and more into the underground. And instead of people talking about it, they're just going to dig their heels in even more. And they're going to think, well, the man is against us. Just look at it. They banned us. You do be careful. Number one, because it is a slippery slope you're going down. I don't think that definition of hate that you've put out today will remain that definition. I have a feeling that definition of hate is going to be expanded. And be careful when it comes back and move sideways on you. But also, I think that when people cannot find a common public square or space to have very difficult conversations that might be contentious, they will move to the underground where it will fester and people will not talk openly. They will feel put upon. They will feel... Well, they will feel vindicated in a way. But why else would they shut us down if we aren't... If, you know... If we're speaking the truth, that must be why they shut us down. It's interesting. It's interesting, and I don't think the government stepping in is exactly the correct step, but YouTube or any other social media site better be careful because I have a feeling they might, as this goes forward, maybe not today, maybe not even next year, but I think as this goes forward, uh, they will not be the only game in town. And they will lose followings. But we'll see. Hopefully they will be the only ones. And they will fall like a tower. Because, I mean, people will... They're some, sometimes they're angry, but they learn from it. They learn how to be nice. And like the flat earthers, you don't point and laugh at them. You go and talk you to them. You talk to somebody. Yeah, you just have a conversation. Right. Well, we got to hit this break. We'll be right back, folks. Joey Clark. Joey Clark. 
Welcome back, folks. The show is in part brought to you by Eddie Bader with the Goodson Group. I was over by the Goodson Group office today. Lovely place off of Berry Hill Road, right near East Chase. You can stop by there if you want to get to know some of the folks there, some of the agents. But in particular, I want you to get to know Eddie Bader with the Goodson Group. He's a big supporter of this show, of talk radio. And the man knows what he's doing when it comes to real estate. He can help you find somebody at the Goodson Group to manage a rental property if you want to buy a place and get a little extra income in, treating it as an investment property. Or if you're looking to buy a home, whether you're a first-time home buyer, second-time, third-time. And you said... Barry Hill Road, not Perry Hill. Barry, yes. Yeah, Barry. Yes, near East Chase. Oh, okay. Barry with a B. Yeah, just making sure. 322-0662. That is the number for Eddie Bader. And also, if you're looking to sell a home, Eddie Bader can help you out. And sometimes, because he's working with the buyers and sellers, he can make the two meet. It's a beautiful relationship. He's helped change his own life and other people's life by helping them invest and find that home. It's one of the most important decisions people will make in life. Purchasing a home. It really is one of the biggest purchases anybody will make, most of us at least. And so you need somebody like Eddie Bader who has, you know, seen it all when it comes to the real estate market. When you manage rental properties, you tend to see it all when it comes to homes. So he has the great experience and he's a great down to earth guy. He's looking out for you, uh, the customer, the client. And he's not one of these real estate agents who's just going to wait by the phone. He's waiting for your call at 322-0662. But he's going to be very proactive in making sure you can find the right place to buy or find the right buyers for that home you are selling. So, again, give him a call at 322-0662. That's Eddie Bader with the Goodson Group. And Eddie is one of those guys that he's not forced to go to work. No. He's not forced to. He wants to be there. He's doing it because he wants to do it. He enjoys it, and he never stops. This is 24-7. You can call him on a Sunday Mm -hmm. at 7 o'clock, and he will probably answer, or he'll call you back. Now, I just had a moment here as we were coming out of the break where I thought, what a weird world. And it's a tale of two screens, if you will, folks. One is a tiny little screen here. On my, what we still call a cell phone. Really, it's a tiny but very powerful computer. I'm looking at something on this screen, and yet I'm also looking at a you know 42-inch screen, a TV monitor, a beer in the radio studio. And on the TV and the radio studio, I'll start with that. Is a, I believe, Martha McCallum, a Fox News host, interviewing a D-Day veteran. I mean, one of the most powerful events in our modern history. Really is. It's been dramatized in things like Band of Brothers and Saving Private Ryan. It is in many ways uh, akin to our great heroic tales. Yet it was real. And horrible. And as I'm seeing that on the big 42-inch screen there, a man who survived those horrors in that day, helping to lead the Allied forces to victory, starting with that invasion, looking at this little screen here. And it's an article that says, Second U.S. City Decriminalizes Magic Mushrooms and Other Psychedelics. There's a lot going on, very quickly. Now, folks might have heard that something's going on in Denver, but this is out of Oakland, California. Wow. 
They have decriminalized not only mushrooms, but uh, it's a word I haven't often seen. Let's see. Entheogenic. Entheogenic plants? Entheogenic. Wow. What is and that? here's the quote from the City Council of Oakland. This initiative aims to empower the Oakland community by restoring their relationship to nature. Decriminalizing nature provides individual and community sovereignty to explore different levels of the human experience, including mystical and spiritual states of consciousness. Woo! And it does more than just decriminalize what people know as magical mushrooms or psilocybin mushrooms. It's more sweeping than that. It also has decriminalized ayahuasca, peyote, and it, what is it, iboga? I haven't run into that before. That is insane. And here's how it works. Under the new law, city officials are barred from devoting any resource or funds to the enforcement of laws imposing criminal penalties for the use and possession of entheogenic plants by adults. It makes arresting or investigating people for their plants the lowest law enforcement priority for the city. The ordinance also calls on the district attorney for Alameda County, Alameda County, where Oakland is the county seat, to cease prosecution of cases involving the use of such plants and instructs the city's lobbyists to work for decriminalization at the state and federal level. The ordinance was a joint effort by the councilman Noel Gallo and local advocacy group Decriminalize Nature Oakland. I'm thrilled. I'm glad our communities will now have access to the healing medicines and we can start working on healing our communities. Interesting. But Denver was first with just mushrooms. Now Oakland has moved in on this. I love that so much because man does not need to put a penalty on that stuff because it comes with its own penalty. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if you abuse it, right. you will find it. Right. And I guess the idea that some would have is we had to save people from themselves, protect people from themselves for using this stuff. I'm one who's a bit more on, no, you, you, you'll learn. You'll learn the consequences yeah. if you uh, do something you shouldn't. Exactly. And we have laws on the books that if you are under the influence of something like this and say you drive, oh, you're going to jail. Wow. Uh, you do something else to hurt somebody else, you, you've got a problem on your hands and you should be prosecuted for that. But, uh, there also, I think, uh, there's a fascinating tradition, and also now new studies, and I've talked about this before, that shows that uh, substances like psilocybin, or that you can create neurogenesis, essentially in the brain, it can help with things like depression. Um, I would love to see the application of these substances in a controlled setting um, for things like Alzheimer's and dementia, or PTSD. I, I would love to see that. And I love it because you have to respect the the plant. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't respect the plant and you abuse it, it will take you down a terrible hole that you will never want to go down again. Right. Right. And, it's just interesting. And that just juxtaposition on these two screens is what's fascinating to me. Like, I mean, just you can see it right there. Uh, looks like a, a veteran who just parachuted down has to be in his... D-Day veterans parachute in D-Day veteran parachutes into Normandy. That's what the subheading is saying. There. That dude looks good too. That's amazing. Man, 
It just, it, what a life. Yeah. I mean, you don't need any substance to take that trip. I mean, he lived a trip. Like, can you imagine what that man has seen since that day? And I'm assuming since he just parachuted in Normandy on this, the 75th anniversary, that he was one of the paratroopers on that day 75 years ago. He he looks like he, he's done some things. And he said, what were you thinking about? I was looking at the beautiful landscape. My body was in one place and my mind was in another place. I didn't get them together until... I left the aircraft. It was a beautiful fall at 128 miles per hour. It was a little cold, too. Yeah, and talk to me about the... Okay. That's, I mean, that's amazing. Again, but the, the world is changing very quickly. That We're arguing over something like YouTube and the decriminalization of certain plants. I, I think that is interesting that we've outlawed certain plants. The argument is these things are just growing. They grow naturally. Yeah. Like you don't need even human beings to sort of foster these things. So I think if you put some human ingenuity into it, you could harness these substances and these plants for good. Uh, but, man, hopefully the what de- a weird world. De- so much to cover. <clears throat> Making it uh, not against the law will make some people not want to use it as recreationally as they were and maybe people will start getting the mind opening effects of it you know well let's be honest there're going to be some dopes who do stupid things with well them. there already were those they, yeah, when it was are. illegal in Oakland you know now right. that it's legal maybe the uh, uh, well, you get rid of the forbidden fruit aspect of it exactly right. and right. then you bring back the mother nature part of it you want to see who's on this Oh, line yeah. one here? Oh, yeah. All right, let's see who it is. News talk, you're on there. Who's this? Hey, it's Dave. Hey, Dave, how you doing? Dave's not here, hey. man. You know, <laughs> Dave's here. But, uh, yeah, the, um, you know, with the, they, these liberal cities keep uh, bringing up, uh, you know, everything. L.A.'s got homeless people living uh, everywhere. Yeah, there's, I mean... Really, if you'd go to Skid Row's a real place, and it's a huge tent city now. It's unreal. I heard it was rough. And, uh, you know, you, you legalize all these hallucinogenic properties and all these plants. And, and uh, you know, they're, they're, they're poisoning their own well because if these people go out and warp their and bend their minds on these hallucinogenics, they just make them, they end up being wards of the state because you end up having to pay them welfare and, and everything because they can't take care of themselves. And... Uh, it really makes you want to scratch your head and say, what are these people thinking? Now, if you want to use them in a lab to find properties that might be useful for, for diseases, okay, I'm, I'm okay with that. Yeah, I'm for the use of them in a thoughtful and responsible way. I'm not 100% sure about this, but I don't think that um, it's like LSD, when if you take a whole bunch, it will turn you into a vegetable. But, I mean, some of that stuff is... Uh, well, and this is actually where there is a blind spot because it's been so prohibited and verboten for so long. We don't really know. I mean, if you take a certain amount of ayahuasca or peyote or whatever, or mescaline, what's the actual effect on the brain? What is the right. science behind it? We need to learn more about that. It scares right. the crap out of you and you never do it again. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because it takes you to hell. Right. <laughs> There are some you know. promising studies, but I, I agree with you, Dave. It does need. I don't want the pharmaceutical companies to completely control this stuff because if it is a naturally growing plant, if right. what's to stop an individual from using it responsibly? But I also see your point when you have like these vast groups of homeless people that just need, 
you know, some a helping hand in a way, not from the government necessarily, but from others. Maybe to you know just go. What's wrong, man? You need some food. You need yeah, a job. Right. These sorts of things. Are they now? Are they now just going to fall into you know self medication, so to speak? Exactly. But you know, hey, and and uh, touch on your story about the the World War II veteran jumping out of the airplane. Yeah. Yeah, and you were talking about how you know if you if you've never done it, I I, I was a skydiver for a, a, a number of years, and I made three hundred twenty jumps, and. Let me tell you what, I was an adrenaline junkie, hmm. and it was fun. Yeah, would you do it, dude? It makes me nervous. I have to admit, I, I probably would do it, but yeah. I, well, I've always said this. I need good. Re- I'm not an adrenaline junkie, Dave. So yeah. I would need like if I if my country you needed leave me. Your house. Right, I know. If my country needed me to jump out of a plane in order to go kill some bad guys, I'd probably do it. But just to do it for fun, I believe you that it's fun. It's a huge rush, but. Uh, I can get my kicks elsewhere. About your fans, man. <laughs> yeah. Your fans oh, yeah. want to see you. <laughs> my fans well, should raise money. We'll do a Kickstarter. I'll jump out of a plane for twenty thousand dollars. We no, it, it's just three hundred twenty bucks. Three hundred? No, it could be higher than that. Me, man, I'll do it with you. Yeah, hey, <laughs> yeah uh, out of out of three friends that I went with, I was the only one that got the bug, and uh, and you know I bought gear and 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 the whole nine yards and and you know I, I had. I found a great uh, group of guys to skydive with, and and uh, you know it, it it's as big a sport as you want it to be, right? And uh, and how far you want to get into it, but uh, yeah, it was a big deal. Well, and I would do that. I would jump out of a plane before I would bungee jump. Really? Yeah. Either way, there's a chance. I don't like dive. being hooked to like some you know huge precipice, and it's like going to spring me back up. I'd rather jump out of a plane, enjoy the fall, enjoy the the whole ride in that. Less regard. fear of whiplash. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, they they give you two parachutes, you know. Right. And 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 your and your first jumps that you somebody's going with you. Yeah, tandem. Yeah. Right, tandem. So tandem's a way to learn, and uh, uh but um, it's it's a it's you get around a you get around a drop zone with a good people a, a good group of people and uh you know sky's the limit you know there yeah you go. i think i got a better chance of getting you go to do that than to go out all right i appreciate the call dave thanks man have a good one all right well, that's it for the show. All over the place tonight, but it's a weird world that's all over the place. Crazy, man. I mean, check out Black Mirror, folks, if you've never watched it on Netflix. It kind of, it's a weird show, but if you watch it, tell me it doesn't actually reflect how weird the modern world is getting. It really is. Hopefully by Friday I could find a... A A clean version of that Miley Cyrus thing. Stupid girl. Yeah, using curse words. We couldn't play it. Now it's time to talk you into jumping out of a plane. Good night, everybody.